truly save that date, October 19th and 20th, okay? This is a big deal, and we want as many people there as we can get there, and we are giving it our all. We're putting effort and money and time into this and have been for some time. We are not putting anything else on the calendar for that day because this is a big thing for us. In fact, I believe it is the biggest thing for us to be focused on all year long, making sure that we are equipping you to reach your neighbors, friends, co-workers for Christ. So save that date, October 19th and 20th, okay? Awesome. We are going to continue our series today, and I think it is vitally important that we do so. Um, we started this series several weeks back. Um, it's on our inner life. And uh, we are convinced, and I am more and more convinced every, every day, that this is the most important thing about us, is our inner life. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The most important thing about us is our inner life. What is happening in here and what is happening in here. And because it's the most important thing, because this is the thing that lasts... Because it's the most important thing, God is vitally interested in our inner life. And if God is vitally interested in our inner life, then his enemies are vitally interested in our inner life as well. And so that's why this series is so important, and that's why we're picking it back up, especially today. What we are talking about today is so important for us. And so what we're trying to do is take this thing which can seem mystical or magical, what's going on inside of us, take this thing that can be kind of wishy-washy and trying to lay hold of our thoughts and all of that, take this thing which is, which is uh, uh, just kind of magical to us and make it not a magi- matter of magic, but to make it a matter of focus. And so we called this series Hocus Focus. I encourage you to go back and listen to the series. I can't re-preach what we've already preached. Um, uh, we, we launched into it, we jumped into it several weeks uh, back, and you can go back and listen to it. If you don't listen to anything else, at least listen to the first kickoff week, because I lay some foundation for us. Um, essentially, we read through Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, which says, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. There are three trolls trying to hack our inner life. That's essentially what we're talking about. If none of this makes sense to you, you need to go back and listen to the message. They are the flesh, Satan, and the world. Today we're talking about Satan. Last Two weeks ago we talked about the flesh. Next week we are talking about the world. And if you want to, if there's one Sunday you do not want to miss, it would be next week, okay? It, this one, you could listen to online and get it all. Next week, if you are not present, you will miss something. That's all I'll say, okay? So we talked about the flesh. Today we're talking about Satan. Um, I've had plenty of ideas on what to call this one. I had some people who even made suggestions for me. Somebody very kindly dropped some Cheetos on my uh, seat over there, and then next to that brought some flaming Cheetos, I don't know who that person was, but I think the message is that maybe we should have called this like the, the flaming Cheeto troll because he's like the Cheeto troll from hell. I don't know. Um, but 
that's not what we're calling it. Today, as we're talking about Satan, we decide to call this the, the foreign troll. The foreign troll. I've been reading a lot about some of these foreign agents um, who are very deliberately trying to troll the United States and, and to troll our nation. Um, and, and so that's why we're calling this the foreign troll. And at this point, some people, some people think that it's just the Russians who are doing this. But at this point, they know and have realized even in the last few months that it's not just the Russians, that actually the North Koreans are involved, the Iranians are involved. And what they're doing is this. They find a fault line in our nation. They find a fault line in the fabric of our culture, the fabric, our political fabric. They find this fault line, and then they plant themselves in the middle of this fault line, and they push us apart from each other. They are trying to cause dissension and division and keep us apart from each other, okay? And, and it's not just the Russians who are doing it. In fact, a couple weeks back, I saw some stuff from someone named Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. How many of you know who Mahmoud Ahmadinejad are? Raise your hand. All of you who are world savvy. Okay, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad was the president of Iran. He is no longer the president of Iran, but he was the president of Iran. Now the president's name is President Rouhani. But before him was this guy named Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, known as someone who oppressed the people of Iran, as someone who uh, all sorts of human rights um, violations. Well, several months ago, he started tweeting. Yes, and he wanted to weigh in on all these vitally important subjects like the NFL. And so I have a few of his tweets today that I want to share with you from Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the former president of Iran. Tweet number one. The NFL season will start this week. Unfortunately, once again, Kaepernick is not on an NFL roster, even though he is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Hashtag Colin Kaepernick. Hashtag NFL. Yes, thank you, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, for your take on the NFL. That was tweet number one. Let me give you another one. Tweet number two. The philosophy and spirit of sports is bringing people together, not causing more conflicts. Politics must support the spirit of sports, not destroy it. Mm. Feel that one. Number three. Mr. Trump, in my opinion, everyone, especially a president, should love all and not differentiate between them. I love LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and some other guy, and all other athletes, and wish them all the best. Again, boy, if you don't feel that deeply. Let me give you my absolute favorite tweet from Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Tweet number four, here it goes. Had a busy day today, but I always make time for hashtag Twitter. Let me tell you what I find interesting about this tweet, and all of these tweets, but this one in particular. This one says it all to me. 
Did you know that Twitter is illegal in Iran? It has been since 2009. Do you know who outlawed it? So tell me, why is the former president of Iran, the one who denied the Holocaust ever happened, tweeting about camaraderie and sports bringing people together on Twitter? I can tell you what it's not for. It's not for his fans, his friends, his family, or his followers in Iran, because they cannot read it. Who is this for? You and me. He is trolling us. He has found a fault line in the fabric of our nation. He has planted himself in the middle of it, and he is deliberately pushing us apart. Can I just say, please, stop allowing yourself to be trolled. What I love about this is he has set himself up as the knight in shining armor. I mean, this picture, he, that's not a selfie, right? He has someone behind him snapping a photo of him on a MacBook uh, posting on Twitter when it's illegal in his own nation because of him. This is exactly what Satan does. He poses as the knight in shining armor, the, the, the angel of light, and he trolls our inner life. So that's why we're calling it the foreign troll. I need to bound a little, build a little foundation for you today, um, and, and, and then we'll get to the good stuff. We're going to move quickly through this. Um, and I'm going to jump through a few things, and then again, we'll get to the good stuff. But we need to build the foundation so that we all can make sure we're on the same page insofar as Satan is concerned. Let me start with this. Satan is real. He is not a magical, mystical, universal force. He is not a metaphor for evil. If you take Scripture at all seriously then you have to say that Satan is real, that he is a real personality, okay? A real person, will say. If, however, you look at Scripture and you're like, meh, then you can say, yeah, maybe Satan's just a metaphor for evil. But if you take this at all seriously, then that means Satan is real. Jesus talked about him as if he is real. John chapter 8, verse 44, here's what he says. Um, and we'll jump through a bunch of these, and then we'll get to the good stuff. Feel free to just come along with me, because I'm moving fast. John chapter 8, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus said he speaks out of his own character. That does not sound like a metaphor to me. That sounds like a person, a real person, who is in opposition to God. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I come that they may have life and have it 
abundantly. Which means that Satan is real. And that he is in opposition to God. He is in opposition to Christ. He is opposing Christ, right? Because he's looking for stealing, killing, destroying. And Jesus is looking for life and life abundantly. Satan is real. And if we are not engaging in what Paul tells Timothy is called the good warfare, if we are not every single day getting up and setting our minds to war against Satan, then most likely we are either not a threat to him or we're just going along with him. Satan is real. Let me give you another one, and we're just moving through building some foundation. Satan is powerful. Satan is powerful. We know this side of heaven that the angels are a little higher than us. Okay? That won't always be the case. But this side of heaven... You can read through Hebrews. Say, angels are a little higher than us. And we know that the pinnacle of the angels was Satan. We're not going to get into the origin story. We're not going to get into any of that because we just don't plain have time for it. But Satan is the pinnacle of the angels. The angels are higher than us, which means that he is powerful. This is not something to play around with. This is not something to think that, okay, well, it's, there's, there's no power there. Let me read a couple scriptures. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That sounds powerful to me. Satan is powerful. C.S. Lewis said it like this. I love this quote. Here's what he said. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Satan is real. And there's two ways we can go into error here. One, that we don't believe in him or we don't think that he's powerful. And number two is to get too interested in him and look for Satan behind every bush and tree. But we cannot play him down. He is powerful. In 1 Peter chapter 4, 5 it says four on there, but it's chapter 5, verse 8. Here's what it says. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is seeking to devour. He says it's prowling around. He says be watchful, be sober-minded, be aware be watching for him. This is reality, folks. Satan is powerful. Let's be clear on this fact. And so as a result, we need to be watchful for him. Several years back when Asher was still just a toddler, I was headed up to Walmart to um, pick up my groceries. And I, as I always do when I go grocery shopping, try to make it fun. Make sure that we both have a good time. As we were headed into the store, I see this guy standing at the door. He kind of smiles at me, and I smile back at him, and we continued on our way. And we go and we get all our produce. We go up and down every aisle and picking stuff up. And randomly through the store, I would see this guy at the end of an aisle or something. And Come back all the way around, get to the register, and, and pay for our stuff. 
And uh, after we pay for all of our stuff, I'm like, all right, Asher, let's go. Everything's in bags. And I start pushing away from the register, and I see this guy standing against the wall. And so I start going, and he beelines towards me. And of course, immediately, my hackles get up. He goes, hey, I'm with KY3. And I was wondering if I could interview. And I get this all the time. Like, everywhere I go, KY3 wants to interview me. It's just the way this thing goes. Um, it's just like the good looks and the intelligence and all of those things. And then I watch the news and see the people they interview. And I'm like, okay, never mind. That's not it. So... So he's like, hey, I'm from KY3, and I want to interview you um, because we're doing a story on how expensive healthy food is. And um, we just, I wanted to just kind of ask you a few questions, if you wouldn't mind being on TV, and, and I'll ask you a few questions, and you can kind of talk about how expensive it is. And I'm like, yeah, no, thank you. Because um, there was something right inside of me. It just felt uneasy. And I didn't know what it was, but at first I just felt uneasy. And so I said, no, thank you. And he goes, really? It'll be really simple. And I said, no, here's the thing. My wife and I, we budget for it. We put money aside for it. We know it's expensive, so, so we, we try to eat healthy. And so we, we put money aside for that purpose, okay? And, and so I said, I'm not the guy you want to interview. And it wasn't until I got to the car and put my groceries in and my son in the car that I realized why it made me so uncomfortable. Here's what it was. From the moment I walked into that store, he had made me. And it did not bother me one bit as I was walking through the store that he was following me around. And never once did I see him with groceries in his hand, but I saw him at the end of every aisle watching me. And it did not even go like a tiny bit on the threat radar. And that bothered me. Because what if his intentions had not been so innocuous? That's what being watchful means. Being watchful means that as we're walking through life, that we're aware of the situations around us. And if there are certain people that when we get around them, we get into certain kinds of trouble, that we're watchful for that, and that we don't get around those kind of people anymore. Or if there's certain situations that, boy, I keep falling into the same trap every time, that we're watchful and we don't put ourselves in that type of a situation before. Or maybe it's just walking through our lives, certain things happen and we're not paying attention, and as a result, then we get ourselves in trouble. So Peter says, be watchful. Why? Because Satan is going around seeking to devour your faith. Don't you dare let him. He is powerful, so be sober-minded. Be watchful. We need to set this as super important groundwork. But I, I can't stop there because there's one other one we got to get. And that is this. Satan is limited. Okay? Satan is limited. Only God is limitless. See, sometimes we talk about the fact that Satan is in opposition to God and how we interpret that in our brain or in our heart is we interpret it like well, if he's in opposition to God, that must make him God's opposite. Can I just say, 
God has no opposite. Satan is not God's equal. He is not God's rival. If we think that Satan is somehow equal to God and opposite, that is not only destructive, it's heresy. It's called dualism. Satan is not equal and opposite to God. Because God is the creator, and Satan is a creature. Okay? He is limited. God is limitless. A.W. Tozer talked about this. And he said, here's the issue. The issue is we look in the animal kingdom and we look at all of the different uh, 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 like levels of the animal kingdom and we see these incremental increases. So like you have a mouse and then you have a cat and then you have a dog and then you have a mountain lion and you have a bear and there are the incremental increases as you go. So then we look at that and we're at the pinnacle of it, right? And we look at that and we go, well, it must be the same way with those beings that are above us. That like the angels are just above us and Satan's just above those. And if God created Satan, that means that God must be just above Satan. God is not just above Satan. God is infinitely above Satan. Satan is finite. God is infinite. Satan is potent. God is omnipotent. Satan is sometimes present. God is omnipresent. Satan is a creature. God is the creator. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Hold on one second. Because this is super important for us to recognize. A couple months ago, Asher and I were talking about numbers. And, and he was like, hey, Dad, Daddy, I, 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 I learned a new number today. And he goes, it's big. And I said, how big? And he goes, the number is a thousand. And I'm like, oh, Asher, that is a big number. And he goes, Daddy, that's almost a billion. And I said, Asher, a thousand is a big number, right? But here's the thing. 1,000 is actually closer to one than it is to a billion. By like a lot. And he was like, no. And I was like, yes. Here's the thing about Satan. Satan is closer in likeness and power to a cockroach than he is to the creator. That's not to say he's not powerful. Don't get me wrong, but let me just declare to you today, he's got nothing on the creator. Nothing. And so when we see that he is real and that he is powerful, we must also see that he is limited, where God is limitless. Okay? That's the foundation. Now let's get to the good stuff. And I could... <laughs> we, we, I could go all over the Bible today, right? Because there's all through the scripture you can find these things that it talks about with Satan. There's so many different ways that we could go. I mean, like when I was adding up, all, I got like 20 pages of notes just on Satan. And I, we could do a whole series on Satan. Like we could talk about Satan for weeks, but I don't want to talk about Satan for weeks. I'd much rather talk about Jesus Christ for weeks. So we're going to do it today. We're going to focus today, and then we're going to move on. 
But I do want to stop and I want to pay attention. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read three stories today about Satan. So if you would, grab your Bibles. And once you have your Bibles, if you would open them up to the first story that we're going to find uh, in Genesis, the very first story that we see here about Satan, okay? If you don't have a Bible with you today, there are some that are spread out throughout the seats. If you don't own a Bible, that Bible is actually our gift to you. If you grab one of those Bibles, Genesis is at the very beginning, and you will find our story on page two. So turn to page two today in Genesis chapter three. So this is perfection, Right, where we're picking up in the story just before this in, G- in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says that God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. It is perfection. You want to know how I know it was perfection? Everybody's naked and they have no kids. This is perfection, folks. <laughs> right, so they're in Eden, things are good at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, but somewhere between Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and Genesis chapter 3, where God said it was good, and now there, Satan shows up on the bad side of the spectrum. We don't know if it happens between Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. I'm not building a theology on it, but I'm saying that somewhere in there he falls. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, he's ready to roll. Here's what we get in verse 1. Now the serpent, speaking of Satan, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, but the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Verse 10, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This is such a heartbreaking story. So heartbreaking. You have the fall of humankind as a result of this decision and what happens right here. All of humanity has changed this side of glory. And all of creation has changed this side of glory. It's a heartbreaking story. And then right in the midst of that, in verse 15, you have this first seed of a promise that God makes that he will be bringing Christ. And when Christ comes... He talks about how he's going to destroy the works of the evil one. So at the very beginning, you have the seed of a promise. But as I read through this story, which is absolutely heart-wrenching and heartbreaking, what I see about Satan is, first off, that Satan's primary sphere of attack is the mind. It is the inner life. And, and I need to qualify that because of this. Um, There are scriptures that support the fact that Satan can and does at times, at least in some areas, cause sickness and infirmities. Okay? There are scriptures that support that fact. 
but the vast majority of scriptures speak about the fact that Satan is aiming for our inner life. And there's a reason for that. It's because it's the thing that is eternal. Okay? Which means that he's going to primarily troll our inner life. How does he do that? Did God actually say? Did God actually say that? Right? He's questioning and causing questions in her mind. He's trolling her inner life. Did God actually say? And then he takes it a step further. You shall not surely die. What is he doing here? Satan questions the goodness of God. He questions the goodness of God's plan. Oh, he didn't. You Come on. He knows that if you do this, then you'll be like him. He's not good. He's questioning whether God is good. Okay? Final thing I see in this is that he not only tempts, but then he also condemns, which is so evil. Not only does he tempt us, but when we fail and we give in to that temptation, then he turns around and he condemns us with it. You want to know how I say that or why I say that? Because he doesn't stop at the temptation. Keep reading. What do they do? They cover themselves with fig leaves. They hide away from God because they are condemned. They feel condemned. They know they shouldn't be in the presence of God. And I all the time get questions about this fact. How do we know the difference between Satan's condemnation and the Holy Spirit's conviction? That's a great question. You want to know where I find it? I find it in chapter 3, verse 21. Read this verse with me. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. I read this verse and I see already the fact that the cost of the sins is death, right? The death of some animal in order to provide a skin in order for them to be clothed, right? You see that very clearly right from the beginning. But the thing that, when I read this this last week, brought me to tears, is what he does then. He doesn't make them skins and leave them on the bed for them to clothe themselves think about the intimacy of this moment he takes that skin and they in their nakedness and vulnerability he comes up and he covers them he clothed them what is the difference between condemnation and conviction does it push us away from God so that we hide away from him or does it pull us closer to God so that we are more intimate and recognize the need for sacrifice and cling to that sacrifice does it push us away from the cross or pull us closer to the cross that's how you know the difference between condemnation and conviction right there and so I see that in verse 21 He not only made garments for them, but they in their vulnerability, he walks up to them and clothes 
them. Satan tempts and Satan condemns, but God has a plan for redemption. Let's go to another story here. And this one will be in Matthew chapter 4 today. So this will be on page 809 if you have one of the church Bibles or somewhere in there in your Bible. We started in the first book in the Old Testament. Now we're in the first book in the New Testament. This is the temptation of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1 of Matthew, here's what it says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I'm not even going to read the third one, but here's what I see in this. If you are the son of God, do you think, do you think maybe Satan doubted it? Do you think that maybe Satan didn't know for sure? No, Satan knew who he was. He tried to kill him as a baby, right? This isn't like... This isn't Satan wondering, hmm, let's see if he actually is. No, he's tempting God. He's tempting Jesus. And how does he do that? Satan attacks our position in God. He attacks our position in God. He wants Jesus to prove it. Show that you are, and by that, step out from what God wants you to do. He attacks our position in God. And I see that not only for Jesus, I see that for us. That he attacks our position in God. If you are the son of God, then do this. Show it. Prove it. Let me see. Second thing I see here is that Satan twists scripture. He takes scripture and he twists it. And he knows how to twist scripture. <laughs> and, and sometimes we think that Man, it's like a duel of wits, right? That we get in a duel of wits with Satan. It is not a duel of wits with Satan. If it was a duel, we, we like think that, okay, Satan is Vincini, and we are Wesley. A duel of wits. Princess Bride, anybody? Okay, thank you. If that is the picture we're using, we are not Wesley. We are Vincini. He is the man in black. Here's why. Because both chalices are poisoned. He just wants to take us down with him. Okay? We have all committed the same sins that Satan was guilty of. Pride rising up against God. That is the same thing is in us that is in Satan. He's just looking to take us with him. So if we're in that story, we're not Wesley. We're Vincini. 
right? Don't try to get in a duel of wits with Satan. You'll lose. Here's what you need to do instead. Focus on Scripture. If Jesus focused on Scripture, you focus on Scripture. If the Son of God himself stopped and said, it is written, it is written, it is written, do you think that maybe we should too? Do you think that maybe we should memorize Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 and quote that regularly? Do you think that maybe we should memorize scriptures about how we're a child of God, a co-heir with Christ, chosen from the foundation of the world, seated in the heavenly places along with him? Not only that, but goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives because every promise is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Memorize scripture, know scripture, and focus on scripture. Don't focus on the enemy. Don't be looking for him behind every bush. Instead, focus on what does the Bible say about this. Focus on that. In the same way that the Holy Spirit is our weapon against the flesh, what do you think is our weapon against Satan? It is the word of God. So know it. Focus on it. We know his schemes. We need to dig in and be deeply in the word of God. If Jesus did it, we should too. Okay? Those are a few things I see in this story. One more story today. And this is a story that's a little different from the other two. This is a story that I don't actually see Jesus meant, or Satan mentioned in. But it is a story that very clearly you can hear the whispers of Satan. And very clearly see... The fingerprints of Satan. It's the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 32 of Sennacherib and his army coming to Judah. And they position themselves outside of Jerusalem and God has a plan for Jerusalem and it is not for it to fall to the Assyrians. And yet here they come right up to Jerusalem and they begin to blaspheme. In my Bible, it's on page 383, 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Here's what it says. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with all his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah misleading you that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst? When he tells you the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem? Before one altar you shall worship, and on it you shall burn your sacrifices. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their lands out of my hand? You just hear the lies of the enemy in this. Do you hear it? The whisper? Because he, he takes a, a, a lot of truth... And then he adds a little lie, and he twists it. And I need to just say really quickly, and I'm just going to leave this here, and then you can do what you want with it. Little white lies, little twisting of truth, little spinning of reality, actually brings us closer to the 
character of Satan than big lies? I'll just leave that there and you can do what you want with it. But here you see that. He takes the truth. Hezekiah had torn down high places that they used to worship at. And so Sennacherib's people come along and say, he's taking away your opportunity to worship God. He wants to force you to worship in Jerusalem. Do you think God's going to bless him in that? Well, yes, he is. He takes the truth and adds a little lie in order to corrupt it. And then he says, and did you not see how all the other gods of the other lands did not protect them from us? Well, yes, you're right, but here's the lie, that somehow those gods are the same as the one true almighty God. A little bit of, a whole lot of truth, a little bit of lie, twists it. This is the enemy, right? And, and keep reading in, um, skip down to verse 16. And his servants said, still more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. And he wrote letters to cast contempt on the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, Like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hands, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. Verse 18. And they shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and terrify them in order that they might take the city. And they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the people of the earth, which are the work of men's hands. Back to verse 18. Read that again in case you missed it. And they shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah. What are they doing? They're trolling them. And here's why. In order to frighten and terrify them. Why? In order to take the city. How in the world would frightening them and terrifying them help them to take the city? Well, if they get afraid enough, they'll come out from behind those big walls. If they can attack with fear, maybe they'll come out from that strong tower. Here's the thing. We do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. Jesus Christ is our strong tower. He is that protection. And the enemy comes to us and makes us question, is he really good? Is his plan really good? Oh, has he really forgiven you? Is your position really what you think it is? And his best hope is to get us to come out from behind that strong tower so that he can take the city. See, here's the thing. When it comes to trolling our inner life, the enemy used to have two weapons, two of them. But God incapacitated one of them. Okay? He used to have deception and he used to have accusation. Now, accusation is gone. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. 
by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That whole accusation thing before God, that weapon's gone. He used to be able to use that, and that was his most powerful weapon. That when we stand before God, that Satan would be there along with us and would accuse us, and he would find ground. But now, Jesus Christ nailed those things to the cross. And when he did, that weapon was ripped away. So what does he have now but deception? Come on out of that strong tower. Come on out from behind Jesus Christ. Come on out and fear and terror. And he's not good. And you're not where you think you are in him. All of those things are lies and deception to get us to leave our hiding place in Christ so he can take the city. Why? Accusation is gone, friends. And that's why it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Romans 8, 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The outer man is wasting away, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. Nothing in creation. What is Satan but a creature? He is a part of creation. Only God stands apart. And nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. So daily, submit yourselves to God. Daily, resist the devil. Daily, pray Matthew 6.13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil today, oh God. Daily do those things. And Satan has no grounds. And when he comes to you and says, come on out from behind that tower. Oh, God's not good. Oh, you don't actually have that position in God that you think you do. Oh, I know what you did yesterday. Say to him, you have no place your accusations find no ground. And I know what you're doing. I will not come out from my strong tower. I will not come out from this hiding place in Christ. It is mine. And you cannot have it. 
And here is the best exhortation that I can leave you with today. Everything Satan means for evil, God turns for good. Romans 8.28 says that very thing. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And why is that? How is it that God can do that sort of thing? Well, because Satan is a creature and he is the creator. He is infinitely above Satan. God does not have an equal. God does not have a rival. And so every time Satan thinks he scores on you, it turns out it was on the wrong goal. Because God turns it about for good. And that is his promise to you today. That is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Oh, hear that today. Hear that today. Hear your position in God is solid. And if Satan says to you, come out, you say back, no, this is my strong tower. Jesus Christ and my God has no rival. My God has no equal. I am focused on scripture and you will not take it from me. Would you stand with me today? I want to respond with that song. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you rain. And this morning, as the enemy tries to find some foothold among you, you focus on the word of God and what he has to say to you. And, and you could step out right now if you want. That'd be cool, but you'll miss the best part of the service. Let us respond to him as he deserves. So a couple weeks ago, Asher and Claire and Liz were talking and Asher had his little Bible that I don't know where he got. It's like a New Testament Bible that just has New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs. And I don't know where he got this thing from. I think it's in King James Version. He can't read it and he doesn't read anyways. And, and yet he was talking and was dead serious. This wasn't a joke. He totally said this and totally meant it. He pulled open the Bible and he finds a page that has a ton of writing on it. And he turns to Clara and he goes, hey, sissy, look, it's a page with your sins on it. And I'm like, oh, snap. And, and I'm like, man, I love this church. Because we don't babysit kids. And I don't know where that came from, if it was preschool or kids' church. But he's got some truth in him. He's got a few things to work out, but he's got some truth in him. And he keeps paging through, and he gets to a blank page. And he goes, hey, look, sissy, it's a page with my sins on it. Dead serious. I don't know where it came from, but dead serious. 
And here's what I love about that. Because there is a promise to you that when you stand before God, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, that the page with all your sins on it were nailed to the cross. So when Satan comes to you and he says, hey, I got to accuse you on a few things. You hold up the page that's empty and you say, hey, Satan, look, it's a page with my sins on it. Martin Luther used to say this. He said, every time Satan comes knocking, you know what I do? I ask Jesus Christ to answer. You want to know why? Because when he answers, he says, I'm sorry, Martin doesn't live here anymore. I do. And today, friends, that accusation against you has no grounds if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when Satan comes to you with that long list of sins, you say, hey, Satan, you need to talk to Jesus because I don't live here anymore. He does. And if you're in here right now, this is the most important part of this service. Because Jesus Christ died for your sins in order that they might be washed clean, that your sins might be nailed to the cross. And here's the thing. Satan wins under two conditions. One of two conditions. Number one, if he can convince you to come out from behind the strong tower of Jesus Christ. As he's trolling you, if he can get you to come out, he's got you. Or if when you stand before the throne of God, his accusation find grounds, he's got you. But Jesus Christ came to take that away. And in Jesus Christ, your sins can be washed clean. And today, what you need to do is you need to confess Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. You need to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead that the scriptures are true of him. And if you do that, all those sins nailed to the cross. All those sins washed clean. And when the enemy comes, you say you are the father of lies and you got no place here. I don't live here anymore. Jesus Christ does. As we pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as we do that, our, our prayer team's going to come down to the front. As we pray, they're going to be here down at the front waiting for you to pray with you. But it needs to start with confessing, Jesus Christ, you're Lord of my life. Believe in my heart that you're true. Do that and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you that the enemy may be powerful, he may be real, but he is limited you are limitless. He is a creature. You are a creator. You stand apart and you are infinitely above that finite person, Satan. And you have disarmed him. His accusations find no ground. Today, if there are any in this room who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, as I provide this opportunity, by your Holy Spirit, draw them. 
May they open their mouths right now and along with me say, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. I commit myself to him. I turn and I turn to him, oh God. I come into him. I hide in him. He is my strong tower. I put my faith in him. I believe that God raised him from the dead. And I believe there will be salvation to that person today, right now. Because God, you have no rival. And any time the enemy thinks he's scored, it was on the wrong basket. Because you turn it for good every single time for those who love you. Do that again today, oh God. May we stand upon your promises. We rely on you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to dismiss you in one second. Before I, well, one moment. Before I do that, I want to just speak to you really, really quick on one thing. One thing. The battle is real. The enemy is real. He is powerful. Do not give him ground. Do not come out. And when that time comes, when the enemy accuses, remember Psalm 144, verse 1. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. You are in a battle. Stay hidden in Christ. Do not give him any ground in the name of Jesus. If you need prayer for anything, this prayer and altar team are available to pray with you today. And they would love to pray with you today. Just as others are stepping out, would you step down and to the front today? They'll not only pray with you today, but all week long. God bless you this week. Make sure to be back next week. You don't want to try to listen to that one online. You want to be here for it. Okay? God bless you. Have a great week.